This morning I just want to uh, really reiterate what you already know, uh, reasons why we should read the Bible. There's not going to be any amazing revelations this morning, unless the Holy Spirit's got some other ideas. But uh, yeah, just a reminder why we as Gideons and all Christians, I think, feel it's so important to read the Word of God. And we'll start by doing that. It's uh, from the book 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, and verses 14 to 27. It's on page 450 in the Church Bibles. 2 Chronicles 34, 14 to 27. The heading in my Bible says, The Book of the Law Found. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Ilkai, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Ilkai said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and to the workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Ilkahai the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Ilkahai, Hayakam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Azariah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with what is written in this book. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to just think about your precious word, I pray that you would open the hearts, uh, open the eyes of the hearts of each one of us here this morning, just to receive what you want to say to us today, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So a bit of background here. Josiah became king at the age of eight. And at an early age, he uh, he saw and understood that there was a serious spiritual malaise in his land. Idols were sprouting up in the countryside faster than the crops. His father, Ammon, and grandfather had been exceptionally wicked kings. And Josiah set about cleaning up by destroying idols and anything not belonging to the worship of the true God. And his story is also told in two kings, uh, chapters 21 to 28. And verse 25 of uh, chapter 23 says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Josiah had authorized repairs to the temple, and a very dusty book of the law 
was on earth. And scholars believe that this would be the book that we now know as Deuteronomy. When it was read to him, we see that Josiah tore his clothes because of the impact of the revelation and realization that our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord had been neglected and ignored in that land for over 50 years. I wonder, friends, this morning, do you see any parallels in what is happening in our land today? Secular demands to have the Bible and prayers and anything of Christian uh, themes, where they've traditionally been used for many, many years, the pressure is growing and growing to remove them. And a recent survey of the top 100 songs played at funerals revealed that there wasn't one hymn or Christian song in the top ten. Just how sad, how sad is that? Oh, how we need God to raise up a man or woman like Josiah in our nation today. As you heard on the DVD as Gideons, we aim to place the word of God into the hands of boys and girls and men and women in various different uh, environment, schools, colleges, hotels, prisons, and many others. And I've got a few examples of the scriptures out there on the display. Why do we do it? Well, we believe that everyone, the whosoever's of this world, Jesus said, didn't he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. All the whosoevers of this world need to come to a knowledge of God and to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And when it comes to knowledge of a divine creator, there are only two options. Revelation or speculation. Either he speaks or people guess. Now we know that God has revealed himself gloriously in his creation and supremely in the person of his son Jesus Christ. But we believe that he's spoken very clearly and continues to speak through his word which offers free and unbridled access to the revealed heart, mind and will of God. So this morning, I want us to look briefly at the eight reasons why we should read this book and to look specifically at what the Bible says about itself. Let's see if I can work this now. So first, the Bible is inspired. You'll be familiar to these words of Paul to Timothy. I'll let you read that. Very familiar words. All scripture is God breathed. What do we mean though when we assert 
that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Not merely that it can be inspiring, although it undoubtedly is. It does inspire people to great works of mission, uh, hymn writers of the past and modern songwriters today have used words of scripture in their songs and we've sung some of them already this morning, haven't we? And also, artists, some of the most treasured works of art have a religious theme inspired by God. But actually saying that it's inspired is more to do with the relationship between God and the Bible's human authors. Notice that Paul declares that the whole Bible, all scripture, is God-breathed. It's exhaled from God. But of course it was actually written down by many different human authors over a long period of time. The Bible was written by God and humans, or more precisely, by God through humans. As Peter explains, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God works sovereignly through the unique personality and backgrounds of each human author to enable, to inspire them to write down the divine truths. And author Robert Plummer puts it this way. Each word in the Bible is the word of a conscious human author and at the same time the exact word that God intends for the revelation of himself. The creator of the universe has spoken in human history, in human language, and through human beings. That, I believe, is what inspiration is all about. So it's inspired. Secondly, it's true. And this is a key point. We've seen that it's inspired by God, but is it completely true? Where do you stand on that this morning? Where do you stand? Personally, I believe that it's true, every single word of it. And the Bible itself says it's true, because God's character is true. God is not a liar. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. That's in Numbers 23, 19. Jesus, the word who became flesh, and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The God of truth simply cannot speak words that are false. To doubt the truthfulness of God's word is to doubt the truthfulness of God himself. Now, some people may say that while the Bible's concepts are true, the spiritual concepts, much of the other content, like historical or geographical information, probably isn't. Well, that's rubbish. I mean, apart from the fact that there is massive archaeological evidence which confirms and supports the geographical and historical details, remember 
Scripture doesn't make any distinction, any restrictions or exceptions on the kind of subjects to which it speaks truthfully. And consider this. If the Bible is not fully reliable on every point, how can we be certain that it's reliable on any point? And I have it on the highest authority. Jesus speaking to his Father in that wonderful prayer for his disciples in John 17, 17 said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Next, the Bible is authoritative. God is the true master of the universe. A universe that he spoke into existence and he rules over his, his creation. A creation which includes you and includes me. And his loving authority, it's always intended for our good, but it's exercised through his word. In fact, God has so identified himself with scripture that to disbelieve or dis disobey it is to disbelieve or disobey him. Of course, there are other rightful authorities in our lives. If you're a young person here, your parents certainly um, are authority. Uh, in the church environment, the leadership team, the pastors are, are, have authority over us. And of course, governments. Remember what Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. None, however, is above God's word. The Bible is the highest authority. And this means that the correctness of every belief, every value, statement and sermon is decisively settled by answering the question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Remember the Apostle Paul. He commended the Christians from Berea for examining the teaching, the spiritual teaching, in the light of Scripture. That's in Acts 17 and verse 11. What good practice that is for each one of us. And what of Christ's own view of the Scriptures? It's been observed that Jesus appeals to Scripture, each part of Scripture, and to each element of Scripture as to an unimpeachable authority. That's author P.K. Jewett. Jesus often said, it is written. When answering a question, he would say, it is written. Kings don't usually give advice, do they? They give orders. So obedience to the word of God is not optional. As James says, do not merely listen to the word and so de deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And author J.C. Ryle noted, happy is the person who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it. Next, the Bible is clear. It's an ancient document, some of it dating back nearly three and a half thousand years to when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Yes, sometimes it might feel foreign. 
Some parts might be difficult to understand. Uh, Peter commented that some of Paul's writings were quite hard to understand, but still inspired by God. However, as the psalmist states in that wonderful Psalm 119, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's been said that scripture is shallow enough for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And that is profoundly right. Sometimes scripture is difficult to understand because it's talking about complicated matters. And that's when commentaries and uh, study notes and discussing scripture in the house group environment can be so useful, so helpful. Sometimes, though, it may be hard to grasp because we may be uncomfortable with what it says. As Mark Twain famously quipped, it ain't those parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. The Bible is sufficient. Scripture contains all the words from God that we need in order to know him truly, trust him fully, obey him perfectly, and enjoy him abundantly. And Peter said that, Peter says that God has given us everything we need for godly life, for a godly life. 2 Peter 1 3. As we saw earlier, Paul tells us that it's so complete that through it we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16 again. But note that thoroughly and every, not partly and most. Whilst the Bible might not tell us everything we want to know, it does tell us everything we need to know. Its truth may not be exhaustive, but it's enough. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So I'm saying it contains all we need to know in order to be saved and to obey God in faith. And it's no wonder that there are severe warnings about adding to or deleting any of its words. For example, one example in Proverbs 30, verses 5 to 6. Every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. And John, right at the end of the Bible, in his prophecy, his revelation, he also warned people not to add to it or take anything away to it, from it. Author Terry L. Johnson observed, The case can be made that every corruption of biblical Christianity begins by compromising the principle of sufficiency. Every deviation from Christianity established by Christ and the apostles begins by adding to the Bible or taking away from it. Every deviation is the Bible plus or minus something. And isn't that what the JWs have done, the Mormons and other cults and false religions? They've doctored 
um, desecrated God's precious word. The Bible is powerful. You know, since the Bible's ultimate author is God himself, it's a book of unparalleled power. Jeremiah says in 23:29 that it can melt and shatter hard hearts. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. You'll not be surprised at looking at the Bible that we're seeing quite a few Bible verses this morning, but I hope you're still with me. I love this next one that we're going to uh, just look at now, and this is the writer to the Hebrews, who declared that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. I wonder if you have ever had that wonderful experience where you read a passage that you've read many times before, but then the Holy Spirit takes it, and just the the words from the page just seem to jump off the page straight into your heart. The Holy Spirit does that to make the Word of God alive and active. It's also powerful, and it's effective, and the Holy Spirit uses it to accomplish his plans. Another favourite verse, a couple of verses in Isaiah. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the purpose for which I sent it. It's crucial to realize that God intends his word not simply to engage our minds, but to change our hearts. Howard Hendricks puts it this way, the Bible was not written written to satisfy your curiosity, it was written to transform your life. And the Bible is Christ-centered. The Bible is comprised of many different genres of literature, history, poetry, prophecy, narrative, gospel accounts, epistles, letters. Ultimately, it's all about God's plan for you and for me. Because we're his children. And it's all about how we can enjoy a relationship with him through Jesus and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. wonder if you remember after Jesus rose from the dead and he, uh, he appeared alongside a couple of disciples on the way uh, walking to Emmaus. They were, they were upset because Jesus had been crucified. They didn't realize that he'd been um, raised from the dead. And he got into a conversation with them that has been described as the greatest Bible study ever. In Luke's Gospel, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And later, back in Jerusalem, he appeared to the 11 disciples, said something very similar to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And look at this. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Well, nowadays we don't have Jesus here in person to open our minds so that we can understand. But we do have the promised counsel of the Holy Spirit who helps us if we call upon him. He will guide us into all truth. It's been rightly noted that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed and the New Testament, Jesus revealed. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, the plot line of Scripture anticipates, spotlights and finds its ultimate resolution in God's redeeming Son. And perhaps the most amazing thing about this story is that the central character loves us. He loves each one of us so much that he was prepared to die so that we might live and know life in all its fullness. And finally, the Bible is precious. The Bible is the most valuable treasure in the universe. Just read what the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119 thinks about God's law, his word. It's been described as our food, our comfort, our strength, our guidance, our desire, our hope, our love, our joy, and our treasure. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Is that how you feel about the word of God this morning? Is that how you feel about that precious word. Do you treasure it? Even books such as Leviticus, Chronicles and Obadiah were written to encourage us and give us hope. That's what the Bible says. Paul writing to the church at Rome said, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything, everything, what a sweeping and all-embracing word, everything. Paul stating that all the, uh, the scripture was written for you and me to instruct us, to encourage us, to help us endure, and to flood our hearts with hope. It's striking to note how inseparably, inseparably connected God's word is with God himself. Indeed, to abandon it is to abandon him, him. Just as the Israelites had back in the days of Josiah that we read about earlier. Until Jesus returns and our faith comes by, becomes sight, we must continue to live in the age of the ear. 
For now, Augustine said, treat the scripture of God as the face of God. Melt in his presence. And Spurgeon commented, to me, the Bible is not God, but it is God's voice. And I do not hear it without awe. The Bible is a bottomless treasure chest of beauty and wonder. Why read the Bible? Well, because it's inspired. It's true. It's authoritative. It's clear. It's sufficient, powerful, Christ-centered, and it's precious. May God, by his Spirit, help us to treat it Treat it as such. Because you know, friends, this, this precious word, this precious word reveals the heart of God. So we should love it. It reveals the mind of God. So we should learn it. And it reveals the will of God. So we should live it. Love it, learn it, live it. And then we'll be heart, mind, body and soul, in tune for God's perfect plan for each one of us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit, thank you for your word, but help us to love it, to learn it, and to live it. For your glory we ask it, Father. Amen.